I'm always going to say that. Yeah, you know what she just did? She she said she wanted to make Violet love with me. Only Violent. Violent, Violent, yeah. And I said no. <laughs> First of all, you got a gene. And second of all, I don't like sex with anybody. Well, I tried. And that'll conclude our episode for this time. <laughs> Please tune in next time for sex conversations with Adam and Tara. They're almost always the exact same thing. No one ever wants to hear that. <laughs> What if all of a sudden we got, like, a huge demand of, like, wow, we want more of that? It'd be like, well, just re-listen to the beginning of this episode over and over, because they're all the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, look at him. Bentley wants to play fetch. No, it's not fetch time. Just oh, good. Over the here. mouse went into the pile of pillows and it'll never be seen again. If you do that, oh, now you're going to have to deal with it for the next <laughs> forever. He might actually come on top of this coffee table and hit the space bar. <laughs> It's not out of the... Thank Stop you. Stop putting it in there. Thank you. It's you're mine so now. You're so dumb. But you're very handsome. Yes. It's mine now. I should rename you Ludo Bagman. Because you're very dumb and, well, sort of handsome. <laughs> so speaking of Ludo Bagman... Today we're going to talk about him. Yeah, we are. In the Pensieve. Chapter 30. Also, this is Basic Snitches. Also, this is NPR. We had pie. Oh my god, we had pie. Gardener pie. Sponsor us. Tara still has not had a drip, a drop, a hippity hop, a bang bang booty up up a dooby doob doo. <laughs> she has had no alcohol. I drink a long drink. A long drink is a Finnish beverage that tastes like grapefruit. Sponsor us. But we have not had wine or anything. It's very weird. Also, it's sunny outside. Can you hear the birds chirping? I can. I was talking to you. I was talking to the listeners. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's get into this. What happened in the last episode? Okay. The last episode, we talked about all kinds of fun shit, but specifically, let's talk about who's Like winner. what? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you listen to it? Oh, I, we just did it. Loser of chapter 29. Stay. No. Blue Cornelius Banger. Fudge. Oh, yeah. Good. I do not need your approval of my winner loser. It's Snape. It's always Snape. So, yeah, Ludo Bagman. Just kidding. Fudge, we already talked about it. He racist. He a racist bitch. The winner of chapter 29 is Hermione. I'm giving Hermione the win because she refrains from punching stupid boys for not knowing how to fucking read books, which she gets bonus points for. But I just appreciate her ability to kind of focus on everything to help Harry. And she's very smart. And Adam wrote a thing for Chapter And 30. I wrote a thing. <clears throat> Why is it so long? Yeah, she clears her throat beforehand and then she decides to... No one wants to listen to my voice for that long. Girl, you got several podcasts. People need to be used to listening to your voice. Okay, Chapter 30. The Stone Basin. Also known as the Penzip. It's called the Stone Basin. You named it that. A while ago on one of our old episodes, we were talking about the Pensieve, and I couldn't say Pensieve, and so you were like, just call it the Stone Basin. Oh, I'm so smart. Chapter 30, the Stone Basin. Yes, that's me. (laughs) I mean, you can't argue with me. Dumbledore acknowledges Harry, but says he's got to go into the woods with Fudge Packer and Moody to watch Hagrid and Madame Maxine fuck again. So Harry is left alone in his office when he is distracted by an illuminated birdbath. Harry approaches and notices that it's filled with milky liquid. First he's like, ew, why Dumbledore? And he prods it with his wands. Ew, why Harry? That's when he notices that a room appears. 
He leans closer and closer to the room to get a better look before his nose touches it and he literally falls into the stone basin, joining all the witches and wizards in that room, which appears to be an interrogation chamber. He quickly realizes that this is a memory, just like in the cursed diary. He sits among younger versions of Crouch, Dumbledore, and Moody and witnesses three scenes. One, Igor drops names about all of his murder buddies in order to get him off the hook. Igor? 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 <laughs> I just called him Igor. His name is Igor? <laughs> but you may, I guess, pronounce whatever you want. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it could be pronounced Igor. Uh, Igor drops names about all of his murder buddies in order to get him off the hook, getting more and more nervous about saving his own ass. Snape included. But Dumble says, oh hell no, get off my little Snape-a-doodle's back. Two. Bagman stands trial for leaking information unknowingly to a bad dude, but nobody votes for him to go to Azkaban because he is handsome and charming and athletic and probably, most importantly, white. Because you know who wrote these books. Three, Crouch sends his son away with sheets with a hole. Real life Dumble comes and pulls Harry out of the birdbath and shows him how he pulls silvery white memories out of his ear and puts them in the basin, which now has a name. The Pensieve. Among these memories, he shows Igor and Snape's dark mark tattoos becoming stronger and a teenage Bertha Jorkins being a bitch. He answers some questions like, Snape and Ludo are fine, I guess, and yes, Neville's parents were tortured by baddies and are now in the hospital. Then he's like, oh yeah, your scar was hurting? Harry tells him about the dream. Dumble looks pensive. Oh wow, I wonder if that's why the Pensieve is called that. Just add an E and there you go, how clever. I mean, lazy. Anyways, Dumble says that the scar is connected to Voldy and the curse that killed his parents, so it's likely the dream happened, and it's also highly likely Voldy is coming back to power. Anyway, good luck on the third task, Harry. This is how that chapter reads. He's just like, terrible, scary shit. Also, good luck. It's fine. Seriously, at the end, when he's like trapped in thought, and he's like, oh yeah, by the way. Oh yeah, but don't die. Try not to die during that task. At the beginning, he's kind of just like poking around. He sees this light coming through this cabinet. He goes up to it. He's very nosy. I think Dumbledore set him up. Really? Okay. I don't know that I think he set him up, but he probably like actively realized what he had done and was like, eh, it's cool. He just left Harry alone in his office. It's fucking Harry. Harry's a nosy bitch. Dumbledore knows he's a nosy bitch. Well, and he comes back to his office and the pensive is just sitting there. And so obviously he's like, time to go dive in. And he goes in and he's like, Harry, get up out of here. Let's go. So yeah, I don't know that he actually sets him up for it, but I'm pretty sure that he probably is just like, oh, I wonder what Harry will get into this time. It's not like Dumbledore knows that Harry is like poking around with all this other like interconnected stuff, but Dumbledore knows. Speaking of like seer kind of stuff, we mentioned Ron last time, but I think Dumbledore definitely has some of that too. Like leaving a kid alone in your office. Dumbledore's got all kinds of crazy shit in there. Yeah. Every kid's gonna look through his shit, but Harry is like extra snoopy. I can see like Colin Creevy. I mean, maybe that's not even the best example, but like I can kind of see him coming in just like sitting patiently. It's a lot to observe. I think most students would just kind of be like, "Hmm, what's this? Like, especially after a few minutes. Because, you know, Harry, Harry like, didn't just jump right into it. There's been, like, behavioral tests of, like, leaving kid alone, like, mm-hmm. by sweets and stuff, so. He doesn't jump right into, like, snooping around. It says for several minutes he sat and watched the old headmasters and headmistresses oh, yeah, yeah, snoozing yeah. in their frames. That's true. Then my other question is, once he gets into the Pensieve, or not even once he gets into it, but once he, like, approaches it and looks into it, what triggers that particular memory? 
I guess my thought is that, okay, what's on his mind? That's well, what Dumbledore kind of explains it at the end. Like, these were the things that he was thinking about. Yeah. Maybe he was going over that stuff with... Fudge maybe wasn't there, but Moody was there. As I said last time, too, the <coughs> chapter of the dream is very, like, in process. It takes you from the madness of Mr. Crouch to this chapter. You could say, duh, I mean, no shit, but there isn't too much that happens in the last chapter that is, like, big, other than that particular dream, which, of course, brings him into this office. So the things that are still probably on top of his mind are not only was it Crouch coming out of the woods, but also the thing with Igor and stuff like that. So Igor is probably on his mind. There was the conversation with the twins and the blackmail conversation. Well, this isn't Harry's. These aren't Harry's. Oh, I know. But I still almost think like Harry and maybe Hermione even, I think are like smart kids. Um, We talked a little bit about Hermione's interpretation of, of the twins. So maybe this is even more of a Harry thing. I mean, if the readers are getting this... That there's some sort of connection, the readers being us, between Ludo Bagman and the twins, then I imagine Harry probably has some sort of inkling of, like, Ludo Bagman being kind of maybe shifty. See, I don't see that, but I, I it's interesting that you do. Yeah, I think that there's, like, a lot going on. Uh, Harry's always observing things around Hogwarts. We, I mean, look back to that scene from a few chapters ago where he's looking out of the window. So I think that all this stuff <clears throat> is kind of, like, heavily on his mind, and all this stuff is also very interconnected. I think the reason why these are the memories that Dumbledore had just recently thrown in there, and that's why Harry is is falling into them. They're probably the most recent things that he brought up. They're talking about the disappearance of Crouch. Crouch is hand in hand with Bagman through this whole process. Can I back up a little bit? Yeah. So when you said that, you meant that it was Dumbledore who recently put those memories in the Pensy. Yes. So something that I was thinking while thinking this too is I imagine this thing was also somewhat sensing Harry's energy and what he's thinking about. Thoughts are energy, you know, okay. all of that. So maybe there was that kind of connection as well. I wonder about exploring the Pensy that way because I've never thought of it. I would think so, because, like, how else do you, like, recall memories? Sure, you take them out of your brain and put them in there, but then how do you get them back? So it could very well just be thinking of that one specific person. Like, it's not like the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind where you can take every single memory out of your brain about somebody and then you just forget about them forever. I guess my brain just didn't go there because I was looking at it just, like, from a more basic standpoint. I think that Harry, at this point, he's not thinking about any of these people. He's thinking about Voldemort specifically. Maybe, but, like, there's so much going on. You know that he's overthinking about some oh, yeah. things. But I don't know why he would be thinking, I think, of specifically Bagman or Crouch's son. I don't think anyone's made the connection about Bagman and the twins to that level. To that level, yeah. I yet. think later on when they find out, they're like, yeah, I guess that fucking makes sense because Bagman maybe sucks. Not. So then here's another thing. Like, these are all interconnected. They're all about Crouch's sternness in terms of, like, how he is prosecuting people and how heavy he comes down on people. Well, what I'm thinking is that Dumbledore is actively thinking about this stuff because he's trying to make sense of Crouch's disappearance. And these are very important memories that he shares with Moody, who's there with him, about Crouch. But also at the same time, I just just thought of this. You know who's missing from this conversation that I feel like should be there? And you're going to be surprised. Snape. 
Snape in this moment would be an interesting choice to have there because we know his full history and also Dumbledore is trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I think that's interesting because yeah, I think he does kind of belong there. And Snape is much closer to the situation than Dumbledore, but then you see Dumbledore putting at the end of the chapter, he's putting that memory of talking to Snape about Karkaroff in there. So I think that's another reason why Karkaroff coming up and naming names and all this stuff. What I said in last episode about there being like this web of people being interconnected and everything, that's definitely what this is. It is raising suspicion from just authorial intent. It's raising suspicion about all these people to the reader for sure. Snape obviously isn't here from authorial intent too to make him seem more suspicious because he's on top of people's minds. Everybody else who is on top of people's minds would be people like Crouch, even though he is, well, missing. Ludo Bagman, Igor Karkaroff, all these other people that are included here. So Snape not being in that office makes sense to keep readers on edge. But Moody there, who is actually the bad guy in this case, as Barty Crouch Jr. kind of is the smoke and mirrors of the situation. Also, I wonder if it has something to do with Snape still talking to Igor about some of this stuff and not necessarily wanting to bring Snape into the conversation with all that considered. I think that the reason why Snape isn't there is probably a pretty basic one. Snape is not at the top of the suspicion list in this book, which is why it's fascinating. And this is the first time that we get him. I would say he's not at the top alone. Like, I think he's still suspicious to an extent. See, I don't find him suspicious in this book at all. Like, especially this conversation that Harry and Dumbledore have, and Harry's just asking questions, and Dumbledore's like, he's like, no, neither Snape nor Bagman have been accused ever since. And he just, like, lets it drop, and so does Harry. He drops it, too. Well, Dumbledore brings it up, but I still think that all of the circumstances around Snape are suspicious because you don't, I mean, and you don't find out for several books. You don't know why. Right. So, like, I wouldn't say that he's not completely suspicious overall, but, like, I guess because he is that those claims are kind of getting shot down, it raises some more suspicious while he's being an asshole. Now, getting into what happens in the actual room in the Pensieve, Harry, like, very quickly realizes that's a memory, which I think is really cool. Looking back into, like, the diary... I will admit, and we're not anywhere near fuck, marry, kill yet, but I was going to fuck, marry, and kill three different things that you could store memories in. It is interesting to think of, like, all the different things that you can store a memory in, and obviously the pensive being, like, the correct apparatus to do it in, but it's just kind of a fun little thing that we've discussed even in the past, I think, around the diary. So I think it's really smart that Harry does realize very quickly, oh, this is what this thing is. And so then here we are in scene number one, which involves Igor. And something throughout all three of these things is like Moody's kind of, I was going to say inner monologue, but he's saying them out loud. So outer monologue about all of these different people. I like that it shows that there's definitely a relationship between Moody and Dumbledore. Because in all of these, it's Dumbledore's memory. So that's where Harry is, is with Dumbledore. But Moody is with him on every single one. Mm -hmm. That Moody doesn't sit with the people who are making decisions. He's not like right up there as a right hand man to Crouch. He's sitting out there as just like a regular spectator who's very interested in what's going on. It also gives you like a clear sense of like Moody's thoughts about justice 
and the inconsistencies in Crouch. Crouch being so concerned about like bringing down the hand of justice upon people who have had any sort of connection to Death Mm -hmm. Eaters, but then how quickly he's willing to forgive people by just naming other names. Like, oh, it's worth letting this one person go if they're willing to like sell out their colleagues. Or I just even think of modern prison system, like people being let go for good behavior. And like, how do you measure good behavior? Because a lot of the, I don't necessarily want to say a lot. I don't necessarily know like statistic numbers or anything. There are many stories about like, oh, this person was so good. And they get out and they start the rampage all over again. Mm -hmm. In this first scene, Moody is like mumbling about like, it took me so long to get Igor. And now just because he's naming a few names. Yep, he's going to get off because, yeah. And then Igor's attitude, that's the thing that like was a really big focus in like how each person is behaving in these situations. Igor is very clearly trying to save his own ass. And it's all about self-preservation. Like with every name, like, oh, so-and-so is dead. Oh, so-and-so was caught already. Like he's getting more and more nervous that he's naming these names not so that he can show that he is this changed man. Oh no, and he's not even trying. Yeah. What about this person? What about this person? Well, I think it shows sort of like how serious Azkaban is. And like, he don't want to go back there under no circumstances. But also just... It, it really does show how cowardly he is and how, like... God, he's such a fucking coward. Insecure he is, too, like, mentally, emotionally, because he just isn't able to hold himself together at all. Despite what he's trying to say, like, oh, I'm so glad that person was caught. They totally deserve it. Or th- right. It's not exactly that, but you know what I mean. He is fucking spineless fucking coward. Yeah. And then Dumbledore obviously gets up and he clears Snape. And Moody has a clear reaction, too, that is somewhat similar. I mean, going back to Snape being suspicious, even though Dumbledore does clear him, Moody's reaction to Igor and Moody's reaction to Snape's name being mentioned are somewhat similar. So they talk about Rookwood, and that's, you know, a good thing or whatever for Karkaroff. Dumbledore does his little, you know, Snape's doing good shit for us now. And then it says, Harry turned to look at Mad-Eye Moody. He was wearing a look of deep skepticism behind Dumbledore's back. Moody is not sold on this. Yeah. And it's good for Harry to also see Dumbledore clearing Snape's name. Dumbledore literally says right here what is going on with Snape. Severus Snape was indeed a Death Eater. However, he rejoined our side before Lord Voldemort's downfall and turned spy for us at great personal risk. There it is. That is his story that is literally glossed over in this chapter because of everything else going on. Yeah. And we're like, that's actually the truth. And it's interesting, at least where you, when you compare him and Igor, because even like out of the pensieve, anytime you see them together, Igor is kind of this blathering, nervous ball of energy. Snape's class he's like boy yeah and like snape became a spy at great risk to himself which i mean sure the death eaters aren't going to be too happy about igor like sold them out to save his own ass yeah to an extent it's almost like what igor did is worse and so much more cowardly yeah igor is pretty slimy Whereas what Snape did, you could almost call brave. It's Snape. I do like how it ends with Crouch being like, yeah, fucking back to Azkaban with you, you ho-bag. I hate you. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. (laughs) It calls him a ho-bag. You over (laughs) So then the scene kind of dissolves away, and the next one involves Ludo Bagman. Yes. Which is kind of weird, because in talking about suspicions, sure, he's suspicious, but almost not necessarily on this level. I think that this had to be in there for us to understand a little bit more about him. Because when you meet Bagman, 
You're like, this guy's kind of an idiot, but he's fun. And that's what everyone's attitude toward him is. You know that Crouch doesn't like him, but you're like, well, Crouch fucking hates everything. But Winky says that he's bad. And we're still all kind of, I think, confused as to how this idiot could be bad. Here it is. You see that he made this mistake. So what this actually shows me is that Crouch likes to talk shit about people behind their back. I mean, it's partially his job, I guess. I mean, he's Uh, doing it to his house self, you know. Well, I mentioned the thing about Percy and, like, Percy not liking Bagman and he's unprofessional, which could very well be because of his interactions with Crouch. But yeah, I think that also the Winky connection is interesting and I hadn't thought of that. What strikes me here is truly that Bagman just didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. And And everyone's just like, oh, he's cool. We like him. Fine. Whatever. He's a famous athlete. Cool. But it shows another level of Crouch's severity because this person just made a mistake without realizing Mm -hmm. what it... Like, Bagman isn't in the wrong, I don't think. Everybody does and says things without realizing what the consequences are. Yeah, this absolutely was something else to show us just how unmoving he is on his stance. And how severe his stance is. Well, (laughs) number three. Like, nobody's perfect. Yeah. 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 Then we get into that one, too. You're like, this guy literally just is an idiot. This just happened. And he's just like, you will never work for the Ministry of Magic. (sighs) Yeah, because then Bagman says something about, oh, I'm going to apply for this job. And Crouch is like, Crouch is like, don't ask me for a reference. <laughs> I don't think Crouch runs his mouth off about his job. I think that he said these things to Winky in confidence because she's part of his family in his home. I'm sure he didn't say anything to Percy Weasley about this. Not that, no. But yeah. why tell your house elf, though, in the first place? I mean, don't you have things that you just have to get off your chest? Yeah, but why would you tell your servant? I mean, that's all you I mean, I don't have a servant, but again, why this world needs therapists. Right. But still, like, that feels like a weird thing. Oh, I need to get something off the chest. I'm going to tell my house health because it's the only thing I have. If we're saying that he isn't just blindly talking shit, but he's also remaining professional, it's a weird gray area there for yeah me. i think because house elves are not just a servant you know you have some bitch who comes to clean your house and you're gonna be like hey listen pam i do this why's her name gotta be pam i don't know that's what natalie's housekeeper's name pam, is. pam how do you pam. feel about that natalie's housekeeper Tara thinks that pam. you should be her housekeeper <laughs> not that pam if they came over you'd be cleaning the house and you just like also i killed this man pam would be like i'm telling the police you fucking psycho but if you say that to winky she can't say anything she's bound on her bound kill? i don't know I, he didn't kill anyone i'm just using that as an example his own son that's who speaking of the next thing that happens miss crouch sitting right there and barty crouch senior is like you little blonde bitch you done this to the long bottoms and barty crouch jr is like i think the fuck not dad do not do this to me and then he, he takes him away he cries a lot who cries a lot everybody cries Barty Crouch Jr also the mom also Mrs. Crouch Mrs. Crouch this is one of the biggest disappointments in the movie is that this is not done correctly and it does not explore anything properly it doesn't it gives you so many opportunities to give us information so we can maybe figure it out instead we've been just been painting from the beginning of this movie that Barty Crouch Jr. is alive and wreaking havoc I don't think in the movie they even say anything about like Crouch's son is dead no they don't because they can't because he's totally alive from the very very beginning of the movie we'll definitely talk more about the movie when we get to the movie but I do 
at the very least think that it does kind of like do an okay job in making things a little bit more concise regardless of them being incorrect which i mean you guess you could say why do it in the first place this particular scene in the book because we already kind of know from the conversation with Sirius in the mountains about like what Senior did to Junior, it's a little bit unnecessary, but not. It's still good for Harry to see it because it's such a severe thing when you see it rather than when Sirius just says, oh, this is what happened. Well, which is why I think Sirius it's here. doesn't know what happened. I mean, it was accurate you based know, on this. I mean, Sirius doesn't know that he was part of the group of people who tortured the Longbottoms into insanity. So that's another way, thing. We know why that happened. Voldemort disappears after Harry's death. The prophecy that foretold that Harry would be the one to bring down the Dark Lord also technically implies Neville. Neville. So now we're going for the fucking Longbottom. I don't that's, know if that's... That's the that's, other big thing, I think, too. That's never actually clarified in the books, but that's what I've always assumed is that after Voldemort disappears, these are his closest followers, and they're like, now we gotta figure this out. You know what I'm saying? But Voldemort goes away, and it's because of this thing with Harry, and Harry is famous about it, but then the Death Eaters still go after Neville's parents, even though everyone knows that it's Harry. They don't know anything for sure. But Voldemort died that night at Harry's well, who parents' are, who house. Are they gonna, who are they gonna torture to get any more information? Harry's parents are dead. Nobody knows what happened. I mean, I guess you could say, like, in the moment, nobody knew no matter what, but it was possible that the Potter's best friends and allies and stuff knew something. But the reality is, this is the first time that anybody has survived Avada Kedavra. I see some issues with that theory, but I see where you're going with it. My full theory is, in the process of all of this, because we find out in the next book, they are missing part of the prophecy. And so they have already had that thought about the Longbottoms. Obviously Voldemort knows what it is. I'm assuming Bellatrix and her husband. So these people are just going rogue. No, I don't think they went rogue. This happened after Voldemort disappears. So sometime after the death of Lily and James yeah. and Voldemort's disappearance, this is prior to these four people being picked up by the Aurors. So Voldemort still got fucking followers out there. They went to Frank and Alice and tortured them. Was it about what happened with Harry? Was it, I don't know what it was about, but it happened after that. My theory is that maybe they are second guessing what Voldemort had already assumed was Harry was the problem. Maybe it was Neville. They want to make sure that they take care of it or do whatever. Maybe I view that as going rogue because I think like it's pretty obvious that it was Harry. Voldemort disappears mm -hmm. after his encounter with Harry. In this context right here, it's neither here nor there, I, but I, you do bring up the good point that, okay, this scene is present here also because we need to know more about Neville's story as well. Not just, hey, let's so, see the severity of what Barty Crouch Sr. did to his son. I think that in the same regard of Dumbledore saying in the first scene what Snape is about, that Neville's story is brought up in this context in a way that's not meant to be the focus, something that we can go back to. So this scene is not about Neville or no. his parents. This scene is about Barty Crouch Jr. And it helps to feed into what Sirius told Harry that Barty Crouch Jr. is dead. He died in Azkaban. You see that he's this 
sad, frail, scared child. That's what Harry observes. That's what Dumbledore observed when he was there. And when it comes back to it, they're all just related scenes that involve Barty Crouch in some way and happen to also include Igor Karkaroff, Ludo Bagman, his son, Moody, etc. I mean, Snape isn't there, but I mean, it, it even includes Snape. So there's a lot of stuff in the series about like there's the subconscious. Like we get into the occlumency stuff. We get into... I, I mean, obviously the dream, the scar, everything. All the stuff that's on his mind. And so, like, I already kind of mentioned it, but regardless of if it was necessary to include this in here, yes or no, whatever, everything that we've discussed, it's at least shows, like, the interconnectivity out of all of it. We learn a lot from this scene, though. We meet Bellatrix. We see mm-hmm. that she has no regrets about what she's about. Yeah, she she's is, like, we coming back. She's very loyal it doesn't even mention who it is, but like we all know. We get to see Mrs. Crouch. We see how frail and broken by this she is. And you see that an ultimate thing where he is absolutely ruthless. Does not matter. You are no son of mine. Mm-hmm. Which, interestingly enough, by the end of this book, as much as I fucking hate Crouch and think he's terrible, dear God, what a shitty place to be in. So Dumble comes in, he's like, Harry, time to come home. He gives a little bit of information about what the pensive is. He says something along the lines of it being used to collect thoughts when you have too many. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, it's a mindfulness tool. I haven't really talked about mindfulness in a long time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it would be nice to be able to, like, take certain thoughts out of your mind and store them in a basin where you don't have to look at them again unless you want to. I would probably use that often as well. And then he makes a point by showing the two additional thoughts with the dark mark that you'd mentioned, and then the one with Bertha Jorkins. That is the memory that he pulls to show Harry how it works. Yeah. And he lets Harry see this whole thing with Snape and Karkaroff, and he makes the point that he he could have figured this out on his own. He didn't need Snape and Karkaroff come to him on this, or Snape to come to him on this, because he knows. But then he explains to Harry, this is what I was doing when Fudge came. So that explains kind of like why it was that. And then he shows the Bertha Jorkins thing. Mm-hmm. And Bertha Jorkins is kind of an annoying bitch. Yeah. Uh, Bertha Jorkins was one where I was like, why is this one necessary? Yes, so interconnected, etc. But like also why bring that up in front of Harry? That is a name that has definitely been very important throughout this particular book. But that one felt weird to me. I go back and forth on that. It kind of plays back into what I had said at the beginning of this chapter about how Dumbledore knows Harry, knows what Harry's going to figure this stuff out. I think Dumbledore maybe uses this as a way to give Harry more information that he feels comfortable giving Harry because he knows that Harry wants information. Yeah. I feel like that makes no and sense. And he talks to Sirius. Sirius has already told Harry a little bit about Bertha. Mm. Harry was the last person besides Crumb to see Crouch, who also has disappeared. There's this connection that Dumbledore is making this decision that I can share this information with Harry. After all this thought stuff then, this is where they bring up the dream. I can't actually remember, but is this the first mention of the scar being connected to the curse and Voldemort in the entire series? This is the first time that it's said by someone other than like Harry and Hermione trying to figure things out in a non-direct kind of way. So there is, is that kind of connection. And I feel like Dumbledore saying it out loud almost kind of throws him into this huge overthinking thing. Dumbledore all of a sudden becomes very distant and you can tell that he's kind of trapped in thought and trying to put pieces together. And then that's when he's like, good luck on the third test. Get out of my office. They talk a little bit about Voldemort. Harry's like, this is a sign that he's getting stronger. And that's when Dumbledore's like, I can't say for sure, but these are my suspicions and blah, blah, blah. 
And then Dumbledore lets Harry ask him questions. He asks about Snape and Bagman. And he's yeah. like, neither of them have been accused. And Neville. So this is the thing I remembered incorrectly. Dumbledore says to Harry, don't mention anything about Neville to your classmates. But I had remembered it that Harry was actively making the choice to not talk about it. Because I feel like Harry wouldn't. I think Dumbledore did not need to say to Harry... Don't mention Neville. Like, because it's the same thing, like, with his parents. Like, yeah, he's, he's gone through something similar. He doesn't need Dumbledore to tell him that. Harry's not an asshole. Yeah, yeah, I can but... agree. Again, I think if Dumbledore is, like, really trapped in this thought menagerie, like, I almost see the whole trope of, like, when somebody is trying to solve a crime and they've got, like, the string attached to photos and stuff. I feel yeah. like that's what Dumbledore is trying to well, do. Well, I mean, it, like, who, it, who could blame him? He very well may be just saying this without thinking about it because I do think that there's something with Dumbledore really, like, he might have come to an epiphany or some sort of, like, rude awakening. Or... Well, and Harry does ask the clarification. Is this Neville's parents? Yeah. You know, Harry doesn't maybe know, maybe Longbottom is a very common last name or whatever. He's not thinking that directly that this is Neville or he's focusing on something else in the scene but we get to see Harry definitely noticed that and mm-hmm. that's something that he thinks about and he's like in four years of knowing him he didn't ask anything about his family and we get a little bit of information from Dumbledore Frank Longbottom was Nora and they were very popular mm-hmm. and everyone liked them and obviously we learned about them in the next book and stuff did you um, say something along the lines of like maybe Longbottom is a very common name because I feel like if I heard that I would be like excuse me I'm sure that it's not but maybe Harry's thinking that who the fuck knows? <laughs> like, Dumbledore when you hear says, Longbottom, you think of Neville. So Dumbledore says, this kind of clears up a little bit, maybe. The attacks on them came after Voldemort's fall from power, just when everyone thought they were safe. Those attacks caused a wave of fury, such as I have never known. The Ministry was under great pressure to catch those who had done it. Unfortunately, the Longbottom's evidence, given in their condition, was none too reliable. And then that's when Harry was like, so maybe Mr. Crouch's son wasn't involved? And the yeah. was like, I don't fucking know. So the only other thing I have to say, too, is one other thing that he brings up. Another disappearance, which is Frank Bryce. It's like, oh, finally, the thing that happened in the first chapter. Right, but no one else cares about muggle disappearances. But well, him. he's doing his research. Thanks, Dumble. Him bringing that up in conjunction with Bertha Jorkins. So we know Frank Bryce is dead. We're pretty damn sure Bertha Jorkins is dead because of Crouch. And so it's almost like, okay, well, Crouch is dead, too. Three missing dead motherfuckers speaking of three dead motherfuckers kill kill and kill those three people are you kidding i'm just me? kidding yes i am kidding you fuck Murray, kill the three scenes that we saw in the pensieve yikes i know this one's a difficult one the last few i think have been fairly easy our answers were almost identical so, so. i'm going to kill the final scene uh-huh ouch is that a lot and overwhelming and sad and all that stuff. I'm going to marry the first scene. I really like how Kakarov is still getting everything handed to him even though he's trying so hard. I think it's great. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to fuck the second scene because Ludo Bagman's involved and he's probably a good leg. Okay, so mine is also very similar. <laughs> like, I'm gonna kill the last scene too. Like, can you imagine marrying that? Oh my god, no. That's depressing. It is a depressing scene. So yeah, that one's dying for sure. The one I'm going to marry actually is the Ludo Bagman one because it just seems the least difficult to deal with. Yeah. We didn't talk too much about like the reactions in the room at the time. But even just the fact that everyone's like, he's a good guy, it's okay. Which I think also shows a little bit more of the degree of harshness of Crouch. But so I'm going to marry that one. I'm going to fuck the one with Igor, mostly because it's the one that's like left over. 
but also that is where I feel like at least I get the most richness and the most information. That's where Snape gets called out and then gets pardoned by Dumbledore. That's mm-hmm. where we learn more about Igor's mental stability and his cowardice. We learn more about Moody feeling a little bit disappointed mm-hmm. that these criminals are being given a second chance for such a little name dropping. I'm yeah, gonna, it's I'm gonna a, fuck that one. It's a really cool scene. There's more richness in it. Do I expect richness when I fuck people? No, because guess what? I don't fuck people. Go okay. off. I feel you got you, <laughs> you got more to say. I You said this earlier and I agree with it. But I'm also just so frustrated. There was a really good decision made as far as kind of incorporating the first and third scenes. Mm. Because fuck the second scene. No one gave a shit about that. Into Karkaroff being questioned. I thought that that was a good idea if it wasn't incorrect and takes away so much information. The choice to use Karkaroff to throw out Barty Crouch Jr.'s name is not even the thing that bothers me. They've already built this terrible storyline that Barty Crouch's son is not dead. And so they have to have that. So he's just chilling there. Why is he in the same room? Yeah, like, why are you there? He he could call you out and guess what he did? Igor is like Barty Crouch. And then it like pans over (gasps) to Barty Crouch. Yeah, everyone, Rita Skeeter's clutches her pearls right and then david Tennant gets up he's like gotta go then it goes back to ego and he's like junior <laughs> and he like runs and trips and falls on some sacks that are just chilling there well, like yeah, sandbags well you know moody gotta do something <gasps> that's where his bagman is they were like we don't need an actual actor let's just put some bags on the floor right that, that's how we incorporated all the and then david Tennant can fall on them right as long as david Tennant is safe and then that is the birth of his nervous tick with his stupid tongue <laughs> hello father and he's like turning into a fucking nagini <laughs> it's, it's so, so weird strange you're no father of mine and like i feel like crouch is so much more harsh in the book i feel like the actor could have done better personally i'm not blaming the actor on this one because i think the actor is actually frighteningly good for the role i don't think that the scene lends itself for him to be any worse because the scene is so fucking weird it is very weird like there's one moment where he's like silence and he's tapping some like an ink pot or something yeah, i don't know it. what it is i think that barty crouch is someone who's on edge the whole time but he's not an explosive person you definitely see that he can be an explosive person in the book which is important but because of the time that we don't get with crouch and because of what they're choosing to do with him i think his unease through the whole movie fits for me one of the big things missing from this is i understand why we don't get any time with the Lestranges because we gotta save that queen for next movie because she is expensive i'm sure but also they continue to change barty crouch jr's story there's all of this sympathy and circled around him in the books how do you not suspect that this fucking kid is messed up as hell after watching that scene? You yeah. know what I'm saying? The, Instead, he, in the book, you know, he's scared and... He seems more innocent in the book, for sure. Yeah. I'm very curious to ask people who've not read the books, but watching the movie, I kind of am like, go crouch. His, he his, is not villainized the son at all. is definitely more of the villain yeah. in the movie, for sure. Well, I mean, and the son is definitely more of the villain anyway, but I don't know that I've ever watched the movie and tried to, like, separate them. I feel like if I did, I would be like, yeah, this poor man. 
So that's what I mean. Up to this point in the book, who's the bigger villain? Brody Carr Sr. Because we don't know the truth. In the movie, it's just, whoa, his son is crazy and you don't get any of the, like, how much of a hard-ass Barty Crouch Sr. is. No, you feel bad for him. Except for the fact that this room... They put a lot of budget into this room. Do they? I want to pay attention to the next movie. Is it the same space that they use? Because it's in the books. It's noted that this is you the mean same like space. The same space where Harry goes and Pink Bitch is there. Yeah, and then in the it's, in the it's seventh book, I it, think unless it's they upgraded it, like they made a lot of mm-hmm. renovations. Supposed to be the same. They space. were like, we don't need all these like stone walls on this cage of spikes anymore. Let's make everything metal and black. And very I'm chic. still disappointed that Dumbledore doesn't get to make an armchair up here out of nowhere in the movie. Yeah, the room is very imposing. Mm-hmm. His beard's a little more curly. Yeah. He used curlers that morning. Why don't we ever get to see Dumbledore with curlers in his beard? Big misstep of the movie, in my opinion. Failures. A few other just little things, like Harry just hops right out of that thing, and Dumbledore is standing right there by the pensive, and right. he's like, hello, I'm the ghost of Christmas time. <laughs> it's very ghost of Christmas <laughs> It's really weird. Also... He's just like standing there. Dumbledore, wash your fucking mirror. The mirror is dirty as fuck. I know your thoughts look like cum, but does it (laughs) need to look like you sprayed it all over the mirror too? Also disappointing is that in the book, (sighs) Harry gets to say hello to Fox and Fox is not in the fucking movie. Oh, that's true as well. That's disappointing. Oh, and then the other thing, at the very beginning of this scene, is the whole licorice snaps. Healthy selves are licorice snaps, but they're really sharp. And then they, they bite him. They bite you. And then they all start attacking him. And then they fall on the floor and start running away. And Harry goes after them. I don't know if he's just like, I don't want to leave a mess here. I don't know. What, what the fuck, Harry? It reminds me of the scene in The Whomping Willow in the last movie where they're like crawling towards the opening and the little knob or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? This makes absolutely no sense. It, listen, Harry's been through a couple things. His brain does not work properly. I will say, a point for the movie, the pensive looks cool. The pensive looks cool. It looks cool. The way that they've got the cabinet that it's in. And the dirty mirror. Up, the dirty ass mirror it looks cool it does he's like that's not the mirror Vera said so i'm not gonna polish it Silly. i'm gonna brush my teeth two inches away from it and all those flex will come this is gonna be sick toothpaste years stars. of toothpaste flex <laughs> Ten points to Dumbledore, even though he didn't clean his mirror. <laughs> he gave a lot of information. Plus ten to Moody as well, because and this is like actual Moody in the Pensieve. It's not Oh the, yeah, he's he's a fucking rock star in the Pensieve. Yeah. So five points to him. Plus five to Ludo Bagman. I'm actually giving him just five because I think he did kind of like get framed a little bit unfairly by Crouch. He's still stupid. And then plus five to Mrs. Crouch too. She probably could have deserved more, but she's sad. Plus Hard. Negative five to Igor Kirkorov because he is a coward. And negative 20 to Barty Crouch Sr. Because Barty Crouch Sr. comes off as like really, really ruthless. Which is the point, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Nice. Next time, we're reading The Third Task. Oh my god. I thought you were going to say it as well. but then you <laughs> Chapter 31. The Third Task is upon us. We finally made it all the way. So yes, it's getting a little bit severe up in here. And we should have a special guest for you. Or maybe a special guest. It's a surprise. Are we having both or just one? Yeah. Oh my god. It's the Weasley twins. That's who we're going to have. Yep. They're going to be selling us a lot of joke products. I mean, there's going to be a lot of laughing happening. There just sure is. And next time we'll drink wine, probably. Yes. Next time we won't Snacks. be as sleepy. Hopefully. <laughs> we will not be. 
If we're going to be sleeping, we might have to reschedule because we got to have that time. We need our beauty sleep. We'll be good. Because look at the two of us. We're just like... I, there's not enough sleep that can happen models. for me, but... She's beyond hope. Yep. You might as well just put me in a casket. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a coma, and then you went just a little bit further. She tells me to kill her all the time. I'm like, who the fuck do you think I am? <laughs> I don't know that a coma is enough either, Adam. <laughs> I don't got a snake in my basement. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by me, Adam Bowers. And published by me, Tara Corkery, and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please review and rate us five stars on your app of choice. And be sure to share us to all of your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Sometimes I update that. Basic Snitches on Instagram. Also, we have a Facebook page. And email us anything you want to or specifically answers to our questions on our segments. BasicSnitches at gmail.com. But don't send us dick pics, please. That's nasty. But do send us liquor. Thanks. Yeah. Alohomora. Oh, now people can get into your house. They're on their toe. But they don't matter because now you're a water goblin. Bye. Bye.